You're listening to 88.1 WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. My name is Louise Netz, and this is In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin. It's been a whirlwind in the news world this week. We're going to give you a big update on what happened with coronavirus here in Chicago and beyond, and fill you in on where we are in the race for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. After the news, we have a chat with the Columbia Chronicle editor-in-chief Alexandra Yetter about how to better understand the differences between news reporting, opinion and editorials, and true fake news. Yasmin will follow up on the segment she did a couple weeks ago on The Bachelor, and now that the finale's aired, she's ready to give some thoughts. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show to hear what our favorite social media sensations were for this week. If you miss any part of In The Loop or you want to go back and listen again, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us at WCRXFM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and use the hashtag InTheLoop on CRX. Enjoy the show! Regarding our coverage of the coronavirus today, things will have changed by the time you hear this. So make sure you stay up to date on all the latest information to keep you and your family safe. We have a jam-packed episode for you today, but first we're going to start off with current events. Um, Yeah, and I mean, honestly, there almost isn't a current event that you read about in the paper right now that doesn't have something to do with the coronavirus pandemic. It's quite frightening. Yeah, I mean, I feel like almost every single story I read, it'll say this and this and this happened. Oh, and it was affected by coronavirus. Um, Like a good example is um, I was even reading after they called Tuesday with uh, the Michigan primary, like, super tuesday too you know okay and even after even when you get to the bottom of the articles it they were talking about the debate coming up which we'll talk about in a little bit but they were saying that there's not going to be an audience for the debate because of uh covid19 so every i feel like every single facet of the news right now is just being affected by this i think everybody's freaking out over it as well but I, mm. do you think that we're getting to a point where we kind of should be freaking out about this i think people at the beginning uh in the beginning of the coverage i mean when did this start i was it, i think december it december? started december yes so back then it was kind of like this is a really scary thing you know um sickness is always scary but i think that after a month of it people are like all right we're kind of desensitized to this news now you know we're not going to think about it too much anymore. We're going to kind of write it off. But now that it sort of seems like, at least in the United States, it's not going to be going away for a bit. Now people are really getting worried. Yeah. And as as we were just discussing, um, the number of cases in Illinois has gone over 20 now. Yeah. And it's it's just continuing to grow. Um, It's a little frightening um yeah and in in the studio right now even we've been refreshing our email just waiting we're on the columbia college chicago campus if you didn't know and we've just been refreshing our email waiting for the administration to make a decision on whether or not they're going to keep school in if we're gonna have an extended spring break like some uh, universities around here have if we're gonna do online classes what you know what's gonna be happening yeah and and i also think that um we should feel compelled to get an email as well from them soon because as you can see um, a couple of universities around Chicago as well as um, school districts and public schools are closing. Um, Loyola University is suspending face-to-face classes um, beginning March 13th. Um, U of C is also doing the same. DePaul, um, U of I, the list goes on and on. It's it's basically never-ending. And not only schools and in the Chicagoland area, but also um, the St. Patrick's Day Parade is canceled. Right, which is insane. I think that, I think that in the United States, there is not a more iconic St. Patrick's Day parade than Chicago. We're not dying the river this year. You can't really reschedule that, you know? Yeah. So it is, it, it's, yeah, it's really affecting everything. And I think the telltale sign, they're not even having a St. Patty's Day parade in Dublin. Really? Yeah. I know no, that one's news to me. Right. Wow. It's just, it's so scary. And I mean, Italy is literally shut down right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually reading on Instagram prior to the show um, about somebody who's documenting their time in Italy right now and how the country's... New York Times reporter? Um, I don't believe it was... No, I believe it was just a... Um, okay. 
there's a there was a there's an op-ed that I think I'm gonna post to Twitter or Facebook that a New York Times reporter has been writing about like what's it what it's like on the ground there. So it's it's scary. I mean, they were talking about um, they were talking about how um, the United States might not be taking it as seriously as they should be. Which I mean, that's that's that can definitely be an argument um it's not necessarily like you know like the thing it's not necessarily true or false but um they were they were making a comparison saying that italy responded to the coronavirus in the same way that the united states did and Mm -hmm. now italy's on a lockdown and that if the united states doesn't take it a little bit more seriously they may become in the same state as italy yeah which is very alarming and very scary. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I think this just the school closures have really thrown me for a loop because, you know, these are schools, you know, we're in the we're in the upper Midwest, y'all. Like these are schools that even if you literally can't see, a, a, you know, six inches in front of your face, we're still coming to school today. Health and safety regardless. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're they're already we don't even have you know, a uh, hundred, a hundred cases in a city of 3 million people. And we're saying no school. Yeah. And I, I think, I think people are starting to take it more seriously as well because, um, a couple of famous people are starting to get it. I mean, Tom Hanks yep. and his wife tested positive for the coronavirus mm-hmm. in Australia. Yes. And, and I mean, the internet like blew up when they saw that, but also, um, Utah jazz player, Rudy Gobert, um, tested positive for the virus as well. And, um, there's a little bit of controversy around that because people were saying that he had symptoms and he was kind of messing around a little bit in the locker room, um, touching his teammates, touching microphones for the reporters. And it ultimately led to a second diagnosis of his teammate. So now two members of the team are now tested positive for the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And the NBA has officially suspended the season. Yep. A lot of people yesterday on Twitter were hashtagging cancel everything. And they said, you know, Kobe Bryant's gone. No 2020 basketball. Cancel everything. <laughs> Pretty much. You know. Um, do we know yet if they are suspending the season to come back at a later point? Or is it just over? They're, I believe they're suspending it until further notice. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like the season is completely over. Yeah. Um, but also something else that has been moved, Coachella. Right. Coachella is now, now people are really going to care. Yes, of course, because Coachella, not the fact that thousands of people are infected by this disease, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so Coachella, Coachella was actually moved to October. Yep. Um, there was bit of backlash about that but i mean safety first we have to be right right and i think that a lot of people are sort of thinking you know it's it it blows when your event gets canceled right when you have to go home from the basketball game like we saw all those people do you know have to leave the stadium even though you're ready to watch a game it, you know it, it's awful when you have to when you see all these things you've been looking forward to all year get canceled right but there's also another side to it that we've really been seeing here in Chicago with we had a couple of trade shows canceled earlier in the month. And I think we lost we lost millions of dollars in the city that was going to go to, you know, small businesses, restaurants, cab drivers rely on that stuff. So it's really it's not just I'm missing my event, but it's everybody that's suffering. Yes. And I mean, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, even us as college students, we don't even know if our school is going to be closing. Are we going to have graduation? Yeah, and that's a big thing. I mean, I I don't know about you. I would be very upset yeah. if we did not have a graduation. We came too far. <laughs> yes, I did not put all this money and time mm-hmm. into college to not get to walk across that stage and get that piece of paper I paid for. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you don't get it that day, but... Yeah, I just... You know, you know what though. Um, I'm from Grand Forks, North Dakota, and my boyfriend's dad was in college when there was a really big flood that happened that destroyed the city um, in 1997, and he was graduating that year. And because a natural disaster happened, they basically said everyone's graduated, and they didn't have a ceremony, but they didn't have to finish the rest of the year. They were just like, well, everyone's graduated. That's, see, that's that's strange. <laughs> 
And we're also hearing now that Canada's prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is in a self-isolation. Um, he's suspecting maybe he came in contact with somebody who was infected. So uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And also just the stock market crashes. The um, trading was suspended again today after Trump's coronavirus travel ban, as you would have it. So we're going to have to keep a watch on that. It's the second time this week that trading was suspended early in the morning, and that hasn't happened in years. Yeah, and also um, to add to that, a Brazilian official who is part of a delegation that visited President Trump um, tested positive for the coronavirus as well, according to the Wall Street Journal. So, I mean, this is spreading. Um, and now people who are higher up there in government, in um, in the news, um, celebrities, now they're starting to contract it. And now... I think it's making it more real for people. Yeah, it's, it's definitely freaking everyone out. Yeah, and more things. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about what's going on in politics right now. Yeah. I think... The rest of the primary season is going to be not not interesting, but it was such a rapid succession of the last couple weeks of people dropping out that now we're down to two candidates, really. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden. Tulsi Gabbard's still hanging on the race. She's a representative from the state of Hawaii. But, uh, you know, she has two two delegates right now. Um, so she's she... So she didn't qualify to make it onto the debate stage on Sunday. Um, but yeah, so this past Tuesday, a lot of people were calling Super Tuesday 2. Um, there were some really big states up for grabs, mainly Michigan and Washington. So we had uh, Michigan, Washington, Idaho, North Dakota, so my two home states, and uh, Mississippi and Missouri. That was really long between everything, but oh well. Um, <laughs> um, so Bernie has only so far, um, as of the time we're recording this, Bernie has only so far won one of those states, and it was North Dakota, which is not a ton of delegates. Um, he was really, really disappointed. His campaign was really disappointed by Michigan because in 2016, he won that state against Hillary Clinton. And I was actually watching election night on Tuesday, and I saw that every single county was for Joe Biden except for one. And Bernie Sanders, I think it was around like 1 a.m., was hanging on by just two votes. And then I watched as, the, you know, an update came in and it finally flipped it. But just to see it was so close, two votes apart between them. Um it was, it was just really crazy to watch. Um, and we know upcoming now, on Sunday, we have another debate. Debate. It's going to be the first debate with just two people on stage, which is going to be refreshing. Yeah, it'll be different to see. It'll be a lot easier to keep track and, and stay, you know, stay hanging on. When, when you've got seven or eight or nine people on stage, it can get kind of confusing, you know? Especially when so many of the candidates are... Well, when they're all in the same party and they kind of hold similar views. Um, but this is going to be the first debate where it's just Biden and Sanders. And we'll really get to see if Sanders can revitalize his campaign from where it is now. Um, and if he is going to have any chance of winning the nomination. So amid all of this coronavirus news and politics news, which can just be numbing, I feel like we have some really good segments coming up to talk about things that'll maybe get your mind off of it for a little bit. Yeah, it'll definitely cheer you up. What, yeah. are, what are we talking about today, Louise? So in my portion of the show today, I'm going to be talking to Alexandra Yetter, who is the editor-in-chief of the Columbia Chronicle. We actually had her on in the first episode of the show, and we're going to be talking about how to understand the difference between editorial and opinion and news reporting. And also we're going to talk a little bit about the value and the plus and minuses of newspaper endorsements for candidates. Yes, and um, I'll be taking the entertainment route on my portion of the show. We will be discussing the Bachelor finale that sent people in a frenzy. 
and I don't want to give any more details out because it's a really, it's going to be really great. Yay. So. And then make sure you stick around to the end of the episode where we're going to give uh, you our social media sensations that we found for the week that will definitely cheer you up amidst all of this really hard and confusing news. season of The Bachelor happened on Monday, March 9th, and it was one of the most crazy endings the show has ever seen. Spoiler alert for those late bloomers who have not yet seen the finale. Bachelor Peter Weber had just two women left, Madison Pruitt and Hannah Ann Sluss. The two women competing for Weber's heart traveled to Australia to meet Peter's parents. The Webbers were particularly fond of Hannah Ann and said that she was a gift from God. While the Webbers were on cloud nine with Sluss, they weren't as sold with Madison, season frontrunner who was contemplating whether or not she still wanted to be with Peter. After finding out he had an intimate overnight date that happened just weeks before with other contestants. During Peter and Madison's date, she sends herself home, leaving Hannah Ann to be the final choice. Peter proposes to Hannah Ann and they get engaged, but not for long. The couple splits up just weeks after the final rose ceremony leaving Peter single again. Madison and Peter talk again and are now seeing each other. They admit that they still love each other, which many controversial things were said at the finale, including Peter's mother, including from Peter's mother, Barbara, who was not a fan of Madison and said that she was rude. With so much to unfold and discuss with that finale of The Bachelor, and join with me now is senior advertising major Stephanie Strock to talk about this explosive Bachelor finale. Hey, Stephanie, thanks for calling in. No problem. Good to see you. Oh, yeah, it's great to talk to you. Um, so let's dive right into this finale. It was so, it was, as Chris Harrison always says, one of the most dramatic Bachelor finales of all time. I mean, nobody really saw that one coming. What, what were your initial takeaways from this finale? I know he always says it's the most dramatic ending. I think this one actually might might have been the most dramatic. I mean, I I think the ending was the most dramatic part of it just because of um, Peter's mom. I, I think she stole the show. Good old Barb, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what made her different from past parents, would you say, other than the obvious? Um, I think she... She didn't. She was more selfish when it came to the show. A lot of parents in the past have been like, "Well, you know, I don't necessarily love that person, but I see that you do, so we're going to go with it." I think Barb just completely was like, "No, I I don't like her, and I don't want you to be with her." So, what do you think about the um, production possibly maybe spicing that up a little bit to make that an issue? for the show because they knew Barb wouldn't like her. Because if you look back to that first episode, uh, well, that first date when Maddie and Peter went to their vow renewal, which is also a meme on Twitter right now of people saying, even though Barb doesn't like Madison, we're always going to be able to look back at this picture of Madison in their family photo. And, you know, if you look back, you can see they really liked her. So it's, it's kind of shocking to see, you know, that her family just like that his family, excuse me, just doesn't like her over one little thing. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I just want to say, I think the memes for this season have been unbelievable. Yes. Far, as far as her not liking her in the very end, that's another reason why I think everyone is kind of angry at Barb, because I know she said that you know, Madison made her wait three hours and she wasn't like completely all in. But I don't think anyone expects anyone to be all in in a matter of what, six weeks? I, I think that's a little unrealistic. And the way she handled herself, Barb, I mean, the way she handled herself um, towards Madison, you know, on the couch and at the very end, I think a lot of it had to do with producers, um, you know, creating the drama. But it, it just showed 
her true personality. And I think that that resonated with a lot of people in a very negative way. But it also brings up another conversation of, you know, does your family have that much of an impact um, in your decisions in life in general, whether it be love, school, or career-wise, should your family have that much of an influence? Was Barb too much? And is that an example of maybe what parents shouldn't do in every situation in their child's life? Right, absolutely. That That's another really good point. Um, I was just talking to my boyfriend about this the other day, and I, I said, you know, if you ever feel like you have to pick between your family and me, always pick your family because, you know, it's not going to be an easy relationship if your family doesn't like me. But after watching last night's finale, I do think it's going to be incredibly difficult for the relationship to carry on with Barb feeling the way that she does. And I, you know what? I just don't know how to feel about about Peter's decision um, to pick Maddie over his family. And obviously we don't know the outcome as of yet, but I, I foresee it being incredibly difficult for them. And do you think that social media is being a little too rough on his family? Yes. Um, I do. I mean, we don't know the full extent of everything that went on. I mean, maybe Maddie was incredibly rude that day and the editors, you know, completely took that out and only gave us a snippet. And we we don't know that. Um, Barb may be a completely different person and she just may be heavily opinionated on this one subject. I think that has a lot to do with the producers, you know, changing things for reality television. And I mean, social media, social media, people are going to have opinions regardless. I do think that they're being a little harsh. And they also had on the Women Tell All, Rachel Lindsay, former bachelorette, um, came in to discuss cyberbullying and the messages some of these contestants receive. Um, And I kind of I kind of thought it was well thought out the way they handled that, because they had that right before the finale. It, it's almost as if they knew that this finale was going to whip up like this big storm of social media hate, you know? So yeah. I felt like the timing of that was planned. And I felt it, it kind of made me think um, that the producers knew what they were doing when they I, I personally, my theory is that they made Madison wait an extra long amount of time because they knew that his family was not going to like her. And I think that's why, I mean, I don't think that's the main reason why they did the whole cyberbullying thing, because obviously there have been, you know, racial messages put out there and and it's something that needed to be addressed. But I also think that the producers for the show could be a little whiskey sometimes and want to stir things up. What are your thoughts on... Um, the way they handled that situation. So absolutely. I have two things to say about that. So one, I, I actually read, I, I read sometimes the blog by Ali Fedotowski. Um, she was one of the former bachelorettes really early on. And she wrote about that situation and how it actually takes upwards of like a couple of hours to film one short scene. And they may have to ask them to... Um, say what they said over again, and it's it's they're setting up lights, and it's it's a lot to to do in order to just get one scene. So I don't think it was an intentional like a conversation for three hours. I think it probably took a lot of time behind the scenes in order to get that one shot. So Barb probably didn't see that, probably doesn't know how it works, and she overreacted. That was just one that wanted to say about that one part, but also. I do agree with what you said about the Rachel Lindsay um, conversation about social media bullying. I think that needs to be addressed. Um, I also think that the producers need to take a little bit of responsibility in that. I think that the way they set it up, it it just asks for people to bully other people online. That's not anything new. And and the way Rachel was speaking about um, like diversity within the Bachelor world. This may be controversial to say, um, but I just don't think they give enough diversity within the Bachelor world. I mean, they they picked Claire afterwards, who is, you know, a a Caucasian woman, and Rachel has been the only person of color, and I think they need to represent a little bit more. And if they're going to bring Rachel out to talk about 
diversity, I think they need to, to prove that they want to increase that. And, you know, there, that conversation also came up when they chose um, Peter Weber as the current bachelor. Um, many people wanted it to be Mike Johnson from Hannah Brown's season. Yes. Um, who was an African-American male. And that didn't happen. And many people were upset by that because they said that the franchise in itself lacks diversity, as you were just saying. So I do you think that in the future they'll try to implement more diversity? And I also feel that sometimes with their casting, um, depending on the lead, also depends on the ethnicities of the people that are involved in the show. I mean, remember Rachel Lindsay's cast? Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, there was not a, there was not a whole lot of diversity in that. And I think, um, I mean, especially now, I don't know if you've seen that uh, the the lineup of men that are going to be up in um, Claire Crawley's um, season, but they're also not um, diverse. They're also extremely young. I mean, 90% of them are in their mid-20s. She's 38. Um, there's only about four guys that are within the age group. And I, I just think that, you know, it's up to the show to do a better job. And the show is influenced by what we want to see. And I think it's kind of up to the viewers to say, hey, listen, I know this is a reality show. I know this is what we want to see. But that's actually people's lives on the line. I mean, they're, they're out there putting themselves out, whether it not be for, like, social media followers or like really wanting to find love I do think it is up to the viewers to be like hey I think you need to set better standards no I I totally agree with that and there's there's another thing that we haven't talked about yet but it was probably one of the biggest moments of the night when Hannah Ann pretty much served Peter yes Hannah Ann was phenomenal in my opinion that was, I, she became a queen after I saw that. She just, everyone in the world stand her. She, throughout the entire season, she kind of came across as this yes man, where she was like, I love you, Peter. I love you. I'll stand by you. But we never really got to see her personality. She never offered any opinions of her own. We were just like, Hannah Ann is young. She's naive. This is boring to watch. She came out in the last episode and basically just, like made herself known to the world. She yes. told Peter everything that we wanted to tell Peter about how indecisive he is, about how he, you know, treated women. And I, I just love Hannah Ann after that. I feel like also Hannah Ann is kind of starting a movement in this Bachelor franchise. Absolutely. I think that women aren't going to be okay with the way that they're treated just because they're on a reality television show. I totally agree. I mean, I, I know it's a reality television show, but also you, you're you on there and the world is going to see it. And you're up, it's up to you to define how you want the world to see you ultimately. Right. And I totally agree with that. But do you think that the concept of the show overall will change in the next few seasons? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I truly don't know if it's going to be a little bit more dramatic than normal. I mean, I know the viewership went down with Colton season, and that in itself was pretty dramatic. How he he walked away from the two women just because he decided he wanted one. He wanted Cassie, who also walked away from the show. Um, and if you, if you watched earlier seasons, it is not that dramatic. So I'm sure it will be more dramatic as years go on and I know the new shows that are coming out um, the the Listen to Your Heart show I, I'm just not I'm not 100% sure where I see the franchise going Do you think that this franchise will continue to be societal societally acceptable? I do um, unfortunately I think the rise in television means that we are adapting to crazier situations, and I don't think that's going to end with The Bachelor. I think it's only going to get worse because The Bachelor is one of the most popular reality television shows. So I don't think it's I don't think it's going to change societal views. 
Yes, because we're always constantly talking about, you know, women empowerment and how you shouldn't stay in a toxic relationship. You shouldn't fight for somebody who's not giving you all their attention. Yet we have this reality television show that has been going on for so many years now that women and men are being catty and fighting for one person who will decide whether or not you're basically worth their time. And it's very unlikely that these relationships actually work out. Granted, some of them have, but it's it's just kind of mind-boggling sometimes to think that, like, you know, this kind of a show is on TV in an era like this one, you know? And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a huge Bachelor fan. <laughs> but but I, I just, it's kind of mind-boggling at times. Absolutely, and I think that's, that's the point. I think it's to shock people. I don't think they would keep continue posting the show and having so many viewers watch if it was just like mundane the entire time. If, if they were like, oh, in the very first episode, I know who I want, so I don't really need to continue, you know, faking this with other girls. I think the point of the show is to be unrealistic to normal expectations. I mean, nobody goes out in the world and is like, oh, it's my one. Oh, I want you. Like, it's, I think point of the show is that it's completely ridiculous and speaking of completely ridiculous there's an argument on twitter that peter weber is the worst bachelor of all time what are your thoughts on that i you know what I don't know if I agree with that completely. I remember Juan Pablo's season, and I would have to say Juan Pablo was the worst bachelor. He, at least Peter could, I mean, I I don't know Peter personally, but he seemed to actually care about the feelings of the women on the show. I don't think Juan Pablo even cared one bit. I think he was on there to, you know, have sex and maybe find a girlfriend, which ultimately happened. They ended up breaking up, but I, I, Juan Pablo season was a complete mess. Yes, and for those who don't know, our new bachelorette, um, Claire Crawley, she's actually um, one of the women from Juan Pablo's season. And they actually played a little clip of her leaving the altar on um, the final rose, which was really interesting to see, especially because it it looks like it was so long ago. Um, I personally did not watch Juan Pablo's season, but I've definitely read into it after Claire became The Bachelorette. Yeah, that was that was a crazy season, to say the least. I feel like all of these seasons recently are starting to become more crazy in the sense that they're so unrealistic and so captivating for the audience, but these relationships realistically just aren't working out. And I just, I wonder what the franchise could do to help these relationships and make these relationships work. You know, I think if they really wanted to see if a relationship would work, they would take out the fun parts where it's like, let's go on a helicopter ride you know, overlooking Australia, because in real in reality, a lot of relationships don't start off with crazy dates like that. I think if you put them in, you know, realistic settings um, in order to get to know one another, and I think that's what lacks in these seasons, is getting to know one another. I think a lot of it is style over substance. Um, I, I think the more you give them, you know, like crazy rock shows and fancy dinners, I think it takes a little bit of the humanity out of dating. Oh, and I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And I think that this show is going to really have to change if if their main goal is rather than ratings, but for love to actually last. And if that's the, the message of the show, they need to work towards fixing that, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, picking women who are not only of different age groups and different diversities, but also different, it sounds bad to say, but different sizes. I mean, I this season was all women who were former models and former, you know, Miss USAs. And I, I don't think that's realistic. And um, I would love to see girls with a little bit more hips and, you know, maybe smaller boobs and, and people who haven't had Botox. And I, I just, I think in order to get more real women out there, that's, that's those are the women we see every day in real jobs, not just like 
like I said, formal model. I just think I think the show needs to get a little bit more realistic. It's setting expectations for women that they can only go on the show if they weigh 110 pounds and are five foot ten and have been, you know, Miss Tennessee. I don't think that's necessarily right i as a curvy woman i definitely agree with that i also feel like other women like me for instance as a curvy woman look at this show and we constantly compare ourselves to the contestants like oh this person's beautiful yeah absolutely you can't not do that it's just reality tv has this aspect to it that makes people hate on themselves and it's kind of toxic if you think about it Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's another thing that needs to be addressed within, you know, some of these girls go on The Bachelor to help their social media thrive. And then social media comes back and makes other girls feel bad about themselves. It's just it's a giant ring of, you know, girls making other girls feel bad about themselves. Whether or not it's, it's intentional, I doubt it is. Some of these girls seem really great. I just, I think it's up to the producers and um, the people behind the show to, you know, get the word out that women don't all look like that. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Stephanie. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yes, we'd love to talk to you again sometimes. This is Yasmin Chica on In The Loop with WCRX-FM 88.1 Chicago. Remember when I told you that things would change by the time you hear this? Well, things have already changed by the time we're recording this part of the show. I'm still having the editor-in-chief of the Columbia Chronicle, Alexander Yetter, coming in to talk about this week's editor's note on fake news phobia and how to understand the difference between news reporting and opinion and editorials. But we're also going to talk about how she and the team at the Chronicle broke the news that our campus is going to be going quiet for a few weeks. The Columbia College Chicago campus won't be having any in-person classes in response to the outbreak of the coronavirus. We'll talk about how students are responding, especially our performing arts students here at Columbia that we're known so well for, and why these kind of campus closures are happening across the country. If you want any updates on what's going on with coronavirus on the Columbia College Chicago campus, you can find the Columbia Chronicle at CC Chronicle on Twitter. And I'll be posting Alexandra's awesome op-ed on fake news phobia on Twitter and Facebook. So were you just, did you know that there was going to be an email coming through? Yeah, so we had heard from sources that Dr. Kim was going to make an announcement sometime this afternoon. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what the announcement was, but we were expecting it to be classes being suspended just because Loyola had suspended classes, DePaul was, so we kind of thought it was going to be like this joint effort. Totally, yeah, and, and so Columbia College classes are going online. Do you think that the response has been very clear? I feel like there are a lot of professors that are kind of confused going into next week about what they're supposed to do. Yeah, so technically the classes that are not already online are not going online next week, which is where we had students, we had professors coming by the newsroom and asking us how we knew that. And it was through a bunch of you know, frantic phone calls to the college trying to figure yeah. it out. So what we found out was that classes are going to work on being transitioned next week. So while students are off campus, you know, in their dorms or whatever, faculty will be here on campus with chairs with each other trying to figure out and get on the same page on how classes will be put online. And then they'll announce that by March 23rd, but the classes won't actually be online until April 6th, which is after spring okay. break. And dorms are staying open. Yes. Yeah, which is um, fortunate that was a for us. big concern with a lot of people. Yeah. Because which... Loyola had just sent all of their students mm-hmm. out of their dorms. So when I was in class and the email was sent out from Dr. Kim, everyone's first thoughts were, where am I going to live? Right. But thankfully, when they saw the email, they saw that residence halls will still be open. Yeah, I I was seeing videos yesterday just on the Snapchat map watching 
students at Loyola being like, well, guess I got to move out mm-hmm. now. And, you know, a lot of them are going to be getting on planes to go home, yeah. which, you know, airports are empty. We had right. a, one of our photojournalists just go to Midway to see what was going on mm-hmm. yesterday, and it was totally empty. People are wearing you know, masks throughout the airport, Mm -hmm. flights are being canceled last minute. So it's really just crazy everywhere. So have you heard from any students whose classes aren't going to be easily transferred online? Because as a student at Columbia College Chicago, I've kind of seen this school always as like a four-year trade school, you Mm -hmm. know, where a lot of students are coming here for vocational work that they need to be in the classroom, like theater, dance, things like that. Have you heard from any of them? Yeah, the majority of students at Columbia basically need to be in classes because Mm -hmm. we have cinema majors, we have television majors, we have fashion design majors, music majors, all of that cannot easily be transferred online, which is where the administration is struggling a little bit because they want it to be a seamless transition while also, you know, making sure students are getting the classes that they're paying for and also that no one is put at a health risk, which is kind of hard when you have this, like, last minute change to basically the entire way curriculum works. Right. So students' second concern after figuring out that they have somewhere to live is I'm paying thousands of dollars for these classes and I might not even be able to do them for the rest of the semester depending on if the, the outbreak gets worse. So their question is, will tuition be repaid? Will classes affect graduation? Will midterms be affected? And all that is kind of up in the air right now. So has there been any has there been any <clears throat> criticism of the administration's response so far, positive or negative? There's not so much criticism as there is confusion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a general idea right now across the world as we kind of deal with this thing that we've never had to deal with, where Airports don't know what to do. Hotels don't know what to do. Colleges definitely don't know what to do because in most cases they have thousands of students to take care of. It might affect finances. We've already seen it's affecting the economy. The stock market has shut down twice just this week. So there's just this general sense of confusion and I don't think Columbia is unique to it. Yeah. What's the plan for the Chronicle? Are you guys doing just business as usual? Is everybody going to be working from home? What's going on? Yeah. So as of right now, we're not doing a print issue because there's no campus to deliver it to. (laughs) (laughs) But we, we all had a discussion that we felt it was our editorial obligation to continue covering the coronavirus, how it's going to affect international students, how it's going to affect the dorms, if students are going to go home, if they can even go home because of airports. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of unanswered questions that we felt was our journalistic obligation to cover. So we'll still be doing um, online daily digital content. Awesome. That's great. I know that a lot of people are, you know, it's it's great to look at the the national news and the world news to see what's going on and get your information, but also it's so important to see what's going on mm-hmm. in your hyper-localized area. Yeah. Like, especially even if you have, like, a community newspaper or a neighborhood newspaper that can keep you updated on what's going on exactly. with this outbreak, that's probably your best bet of staying informed. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So moving on to your op-ed from this week, um, it really struck me because I feel like this thing... And I don't know what year was your freshman year of college, but this whole fake news thing that's going on is has affected our entire career as college journalists. But Mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to affect our career for the rest of our life now. Um, But you use this term at the beginning called fake news phobia. And that's Mm -hmm. not really something that I've heard before. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it was kind of my own term because a lot of the times I'm in classes or I'm covering events and almost every time and in every class, someone asks a question about fake news, specifically how to avoid it, how to differentiate it from real news. And... What I've noticed in hearing this time and time again is that people are really just scared of it at this point. It started off as kind of like a a joke that President Donald Trump could use to incite his crowds at events on his campaign trail, but it's become this thing where 
everyone, no matter political party, is kind of worried that they're being jerked around by fake news. And depending on your political alignment, your views on the world, that fake news kind of applies to different things, whether it be like CNN or the New York Times or Breitbart News. So it really is your own definition is unique to you. But as a journalist, it kind of rubs me the wrong way that journalism is now first viewed as fake news and secondly viewed as a constitutional necessity. Right. So you're saying people are sort of looking at it not as these tinfoil hat conspiracy websites are the only fake news. They're looking at it Mm -hmm. as this outlet, this angle that they're covering doesn't agree with what I believe. And so it's fake news to me. Exactly. So if I'm, you know, um, a liberal socialist reading a story about, and not to say that I am, um, but if I was and I was reading a story about how Medicare for all is the worst healthcare policy for mm-hmm. our country, I might be more inclined to read that as fake news just because I don't believe with the general concept. Right, right. And um, so disregarding fake media, because I feel like we've talked enough at this point about, you know, those those conspiracy tinfoil hat websites that we need to help, especially older people, figure out that that's mm-hmm. not a real website or whatever. Um, but I feel like a lot of people now are struggling just with what's opinion and op-ed and what's news reporting. Mm -hmm. So how can we help people as journalists distinguish those two or educate them on how to find that in our newspapers? Yeah, and this is something that even the Chronicle deals with. I personally um, am pretty strict about objectivity if you've ever worked with me. So I tend to have our reporters kind of stick to reporting because it's very difficult to go back and forth between writing an op-ed and then writing an article. And if they do write an op-ed, they're not supposed to write it about anything that they have or plan to report on because I wouldn't want it to be colored in a specific way. Mm. But um, I think the biggest confusion just with the general public on op-ed versus reporting is that you're reading it not as an opinion piece, you're reading it as something, for instance, that the New York Times has published. So you automatically assume that the New York Times is endorsing whatever the opinion is, which is definitely not the case. Even with editorial boards, are the Chronicle's editorial board just endorsed Bernie Sanders, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the entire view of our staff. It's an editorial board, so it's these 10 people who have elected from our staff to be on the board. And they meet for every um, editorial piece to discuss their views on a specific topic. In this case, it was who they wanted to endorse for the Democratic primary. And then they come to a conclusion. So two-thirds of our staff didn't are not on our editorial board. So two-thirds of our staff, I do not know if they endorse Bernie Sanders, but mm-hmm. our editorial board does, which is why when we publish an editorial board, it says editorial at the very front of the piece. Okay. And that's kind of the way that newspapers, including ourselves, differentiate opinion from journalism Mm -hmm. by putting that label right front and center opinion or editorial or commentary or column. Just so it's right off the bat clear, this is not journalism. This is an opinion piece. Why do you think that that differentiation isn't common knowledge yet? I think a lot of it has to do with when we're in high school or in middle school, we might learn about how to vote or how to be civically engaged. But a lot of the times, at least in my high school experience, we don't talk about journalism. We might talk about freedom of the press being in the Constitution, but we don't talk about what that means or what that looks like. And I think that's an essential part of high school because that's when you're really developing your own worldview and you should be able to distinguish between journalism and op-ed and what an editorial board is and what bias in journalism really is. 
Yeah, I think it really is a skill that will treat you for life, Mm -hmm. you know? And I do want to go back for one second to what you said about newspaper endorsements, because that's something I've been hearing a lot that really confuses people, Mm -hmm. the ethics of it. And even journalists I've talked to say they don't want to work for a newspaper that does political endorsements. Mm -hmm. So what is your take on that? In the past, it's been a really key thing. For instance, when the New York Times endorses someone, it's seen as this very, you know, heavy endorsement. And again, that is their editorial board, not the New York Times endorsing someone. Mm -hmm. But as we kind of go forward, they've lost their weight a little bit where, you know, the Des Moines Register The New York Times both endorsed Elizabeth Warren. In the New York Times case, they also endorsed Amy Klobuchar. Mm -hmm. But both of those candidates have dropped out, and they didn't perform well at all. So we kind of see them losing their weight a little bit or kind of alienating part of their readership. So personally, I don't think it carries as much weight anymore when people are so individual on their candidates. But I think it also colors a bit of their reporting, even if it is objective, because people who are kind of swept up in this fake news phobia right now are putting that editorial endorsement of Elizabeth Warren with the coverage of Elizabeth Warren. Right. Do you think it's a tradition that's going to stand the test of time? I don't think so at all. Yeah. We just saw, um, like, the New York Times was very controversial for endorsing two candidates. Right. So... I think it's going to fade away. Yeah, totally. I I honestly agree with you. And especially just hearing from so many journalists talk about how it makes their job harder. Mm -hmm. I think that that is kind of, you know, one of the last nails in the coffin for Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. Um, But just to to end this conversation, do you think this is something dealing with fake news and, and dealing with this animosity between the public and the press do you think this is forever (laughs) (laughs) i hope not i hope so much that it isn't in the past it obviously there's always been a little bit of tension between like politicians and of course there has to be because they're both on different objectives and that's good it should be like that it's good but where we run into trouble is when politicians are demonizing the press on both sides of the political aisle And that demonization really just rubs off onto their constituents to where constituents aren't reading the press, they're not subscribing, and the press as a result is losing so much money that they don't have the ability to report anymore, which is really a downfall for society. Especially something like an investigative project. So, yeah. Well... Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that there's some kind of healing process that can happen mm-hmm. for us in the future. And I don't know how that's going to go, but I hope that we're a part of it. So Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is our favorite section of In The Loop, uh, the very end, when we get to talk about our favorite social media sensations that we've seen during the week. I guess I'll go first, Louise. Um, You know, I read an article this week. It's not really a meme, but I read a Vice article this week. Oh, yeah. Um, It says, we asked people buying loads of toilet paper, why? So they, this is oh my god okay before you start this is something i've actually seen a lot people are saying like y'all coronavirus does not affect your butt what are you doing <laughs> well some people were reported to have um gastrointestinal issues oh. with the coronavirus okay but it's, well i'm misinformed then well some people were but it's it's not the most common thing so yeah. so vice took it upon themselves to go to a costco <laughs> and ask people who had large carts of toilet paper why? And, you know, the responses were quite great. So um, a 65-year-old named Lily said, I'm buying this because I can see everyone panicking, so I'm also panicking. I would say I'm buying all of this for the sake of precaution. It's important to maintain hygiene, you know, with the virus and all that. It's not worth risking your life above all other things. And which Vice responded with, but as far as I know, the virus doesn't actually change your 
gastrointestinal habits. And Lily responded with, well, yes, but, you know. And Vice responded with, no, I don't know. <laughs> and, they, and Lily said, I, I just know all my friends are going crazy over toilet paper. Every mm. single one. Even people at work. All my relatives overseas as well. Everyone's very concerned about the situation. You know what? It makes me honestly just want to go buy a lot of toilet paper. Not because I think I'm going to need it, because, but because I'm afraid they're going to be out. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally get it. And people are doing the same thing with water. Um, it's kind of like um, when the year 2000 came about. I mean, we were too young, but I, yeah. just, I hear stories about it all the time. But About Y2K. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody thought the world was just going to, like, reset. Mm-hmm. And they were filling their bathtubs with water and buying water bottles. And <laughs> all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is quite different. <laughs> Yes. This is very different. Yes, this is very different. This is not a conspiracy. Yes, this is like real life people. Wash your hands. Don't be like Adrian from the Cheetah Girls who said, wow. who said this week that she does not wash her hands. No. Did you see that? All right. I know I'm not a fan of cancel culture, but every once in a while I got to make an exception. She does not wash her hands after using the ba- the restroom in her house in which Canceled. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and do you watch it's the talk show? It's called The Talk. Um, she, she, they had a doctor come on there to discuss, you know, how to combat, um, viral infections in general. And they were talking about, well, you need to keep washing your hands. In which Adrian said, people wash their hands, like, after they use the restroom in their house? Like, who does that, you know? And everybody thought she was totally disgusting. And she says, I mean, it's my house. I don't care. Like, and which I'm pretty sure everybody on that panel was disgusted because they've totally eaten something that she's baked before. And it, Ugh, canceled, canceled. Yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can go on a tangent on that, but let's get to your social media sensation. All right, so mine is not really a viral sensation. It's something I just really found and enjoyed. So I've been listening to a lot of jazz lately because, as a lot of people know, this week uh, McCoy Diner died, and he was this amazing jazz pianist who played a lot with John Coltrane. I always wished that he would have played on Giant Steps. That was my favorite jazz album. Anyway, so I was listening to that, and then I started listening to a lot of Joni Mitchell's um, jazz stuff that she did in the late 70s. And I found this YouTube channel where there's this guy, it's called JVTV, it's uh, J-A-Y-V-E-E TV. And it's this young guy reacting to all of this music that he's never heard before. So I found first time hearing Joni Mitchell's A Case of You. My God, man. Before I even go any further, man, I just want to... Her voice is just so sweet, man. Like, she has such a nice voice, man. From the moment she started singing this song, it just caught me by surprise. My God. Still be on my feet. Oh, I would still be on my feet. And it's so great. Like, he's, he did uh, Joni Mitchell. He did uh, ZZ Top. He did, he's done a lot of Bob Dylan. He's done the Beach Boys. You know, all of this stuff that, you know, I hate to say it, but kind of like white culture-y. <laughs> but um, he, listening to it and really giving it a chance and loving it, you know, and giving a, a good review. And I look at the comments too, and it's all, you know, older white baby boomers saying, wow, like this is so great that, you know, young people are listening to this music that we love so much. And it's so rare that you see that kind of, like, cultural acceptance and crossover. And I think I said a couple episodes ago, there are a few things we can connect on in American culture. And it's, you know, basketball and music. And this just reminded me of that. And he's so great. So if you want to see this awesome guy, JVTV, reacting to the, (laughs) doing the first time hearing Patsy Cline's crazy, go to his YouTube channel. He's awesome. That sounds very interesting. You're going to have to show me that after this. And Kenny Rogers? Come on. It's hilarious. (laughs) But I think that that's just about the show this week. Um, If you missed anything during the hour, you can head over to anywhere that you get your podcasts and download In the Loop with Louise and Yasmeen. We're actually also on Stitcher and Google Podcasts now. So anywhere you find your podcast, you can go ahead and download us. And follow WCRX FM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to see what we're posting throughout the week and to see our social media sensations. 
And that's the show. A special thanks to Stephanie Strzok and Alexander Yetter for coming on the show today. Find In the Loop with Louise and Yasmin wherever you get your podcasts. With the school closures, we want to keep you updated on when you can get the next episode of In the Loop. So follow WCRX FM and CC Chronicle on Facebook and Twitter for the latest information. Until next time, stay healthy. I'm Louise Nets. You're listening to 88.1 WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground.